Mothers, you are incredible. At Inspire Church, you mean the world to us. Thank you for everything you've done, for every tear you've shed, every laugh that you've caused a child, every smile that you've put on someone's face. Without you, we would not be here right now. Today, we are going to have one of our daughters in the church to deliver the Mother's Day address. Jade Simmons is well known around the world. She lectures on platforms with people like Martha Stewart. She does university commencement speeches. She is, she's an incredible speaker. You're going to find that out yourself. I thought it would be great to have her speak this morning because as a mother and as a daughter in this house, she knows where we at Inspire Church live and what our needs are. I can't be here this morning. I got a late start leaving the country because of the death of a very dear friend. But I want to wish you the best Mother's Day you've ever had. In Jesus' name. Good morning, Inspire Church. Good. Oh, are you going to give God a golf clap up in here? This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I thank you, Father God, that we stand not for man, but for you. I ask you to open our hearts and our minds, Father. I give my tongue over to you. Let the words that come out of my mouth be ordained by you, Father. Let me not speak out of my own opinion, out of my own motivation, Father, but let us hear from you today. Let us get out of the way so that we can hear from you. In your holy name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Happy Mother's Day. You may be seated. Pastor Jerry, I don't know if you remember, but back in 2017, you made me a promise. She remembers. So Pastor Jerry is everything that Andrew said she is. Um, One of my piano teachers who's about your height uh, used to always say she wished she were my height. But she said, you know, Jade, some women don't need to be any taller or any louder. And that's you because there's so much power in this lady. I wish you could hear from her more often, but you should be excited because she promised me that she would teach an entire Bible study series. This was back in 2017. She said she'd do it in 2020. So the countdown has begun, Pastor Jerry. I have not forgotten. So we got a little over six months to get ready, okay? I'm so excited. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. I didn't say this in the first service to the herds for trusting me uh, with this platform. It's a very sacred position to be in. Uh, I take it very seriously. I consider every time I'm on a stage uh, with the privilege of having a mic, uh, that that is an assignment. Do you know that you are living life on assignment? That if you are committed to breaking into a new era, there is no place that you can go where you don't have a job to do where God is concerned. And I think it's one of the most amazing privileges to be able to wake up each morning and not just live life willy-nilly, but to be able to live on assignment. So I thank you for allowing me to bring my assignment here today. I want to make a quick announcement. We haven't had a lot of time to get the word out, but on Friday, ladies, we are having our own housewarming. Friday night at 7 p.m., you meet us back here. Listen, you clap louder than that when you understand that amazing moves of God were birthed with women on their knees praying and crying out for revival. 
and we plan to do that here. We plan to soak and saturate the floors and the seats and the walls will come back on Saturday as well and do the same. But we just wanted to kick things off our way. How many of you are ready? So asking the first server this, ready to really not, not just believe in the promises of God, but see them actually come to pass. Yeah. Are any of you like me, you were prophesied over when you were little? I can, I can say this uh, without exaggeration. There has rarely been a church service that I've been in where a visiting evangelist has come in, and if he is a prophet, he or she is a prophet, there has rarely been a service that I've been in where someone hasn't spoken a word over my life. I probably have 25, 30, 40 words that I can think of. How many of you have words that have been spoken over your life? Can anyone say that all of those words have already come to pass? Lloyd Bustard's come, and it's so funny, uh, Pastor Jerry, whenever Lloyd comes, I come early and I get a front row seat. You know, they tell you, don't worry about whether or not you get spoken over, but I want to get spoken over every time. Anybody else like that? I come, I get a front row seat, and I'm just sitting there, like, looking at Lloyd, like, you know, hey, I'm right here. And every time he comes, he speaks a word over my life. I don't think he realizes I'm the same person because my hair is different every time. So he has given me, I mean, over the last probably five to eight years, some incredible words. One of the last ones he said to me is he was just kind of walking through. We were up at the altar, and he stopped by me, and he said something that God had already put in my spirit. I had become obsessive. Have you guys become obsessive over the things of God? I became obsessive over this idea of healing. I said, Father God, you are no respecter of persons. Jesus walked this earth and healed. Paul, all those guys got to heal. I want to do that too. I want these hands to do more than play the piano or make a bunch of wild emotions when I'm speaking. I want these, these hands to heal. And I remember that was a, I was reading about all the great healers. I was reading about Catherine Kuhlman and Benny Hinn. You ever read about those guys and think, man, they were awesome. God is no respecter of persons. And I had that in my heart and Lloyd Buster came by and he laid hands on me and he said, you're going to heal millions. And I thought, when do we get started? That was like three years ago. I hadn't healed millions yet. I had one lady, like her cold got, you know, she got done with her cold real quick when I laid hands on her, but I don't have any growing out of limbs yet. Do you hear what I said? Hmm? As far as I know, nobody's been raised from the dead yet. But I'm believing that I'm walking into my new era. But do you know, in your new era, here's the thing, there's a difference between seasons and eras. There's a difference between seasons and eras. Seasons are inevitable. If you start to look at the natural, you will see how God mirrors the supernatural. In the natural, you got fall, winter, summer, spring. Do you know in the supernatural, you also have fall, winter, summer, spring. Anybody ever been in a winter season? Anybody ever enjoyed a harvest season? Seasons are going to come whether or not you're aware of them or not. That's why you can be doing a harvest activity in a winter season and not see anything happen. That's why you can be waiting on the Lord when you're supposed to be walking a thing out and not see anything happen. So seasons are inevitable. They're going to come no matter what. But an era, an era is a fixed point in time where when that era hits, everything from then on is going to be different. 
It's different than a season. A season is going to happen whether you want it to or not. An era, you have to make a decision to walk into. An era doesn't just happen to you. There are new modes of operations, new mindsets that you have to have in order to be allowed into, to break through to your new era. Anybody in here ready to birth their new era? It's a daunting task, though. Can I be real? It's a dangerous thing to be allowed into your new era because everything changes. When you're going into a new era, when you cross over, destiny is now at stake. So it's more dangerous than it was on the other side. Anybody want to stay back on the other side? So even though you know it's dangerous, you want to go. Oh, that's my type of people in here today. So listen, new era is dangerous because now every decision matters. Every attitude matters. Anybody been getting their attitude checked lately? Come on, keep it real with me. Don't let me play like it's just me that this stuff happens to. Anybody ever have their attitude checked? You're going to get your heart checked every once in a while. Every uh, thing you watch now matters. Come on. How real are we going to keep it today? Is it too early? Everything you watch matters. Y'all remember when scandal was in season? I'll leave it right there. All right. How many of you going to go home tonight? Y'all know what we're going to watch, right, Melissa? Game of Thrones, right? Huh? Don't play like, see, she cheered in the back. Like, that, you cheered more during just now than when I said, okay. You see what I'm saying? Game of Thrones. Y'all know y'all going to be right there. Huh? Daenerys is my girl. Anybody's anybody else? Yeah. You're going to watch it. But everything you watch matters. Everything you listen to matters. What you allow into every orifice matters now. What you eat matters. <laughs> I was teasing the first uh, service because I have been fasting in preparation for this. And God always, he teases me through fasting. Don't you know our father has an amazing sense of humor? And so fasting is the way that he jokes with me. He knows what I like to eat. I am a carnivore through and through. Sorry, uh, vegans. I, I look, I love me some meat. Uh, moving to Texas was one of the best things that ever happened to my diet, yes? So when I fast, that's usually the first thing I give up is meat, bread, sugar, Ugh. right? And so fasting becomes, you know how it is, when you get closer to the finish line, it's almost harder. And so I knew I just had one more day to go. And don't y'all know my mama did me wrong, y'all. My mother uh, is here today. My father is also visiting. My husband flew my father in as a surprise. Um, It was wonderful. Uh, And so, uh, you know, my mother was going to show out and, and cook. And she couldn't wait till Sunday to cook. She cooked yesterday, y'all, one of those southern... We were from South Carolina originally, so we get a little Southern South Carolina, a little Texas. We had two different types of bacon, hickory smoke and the brown sugar, side of sausage, scrambled eggs, yellow and white grits. You know what I'm talking about? We had everything, a little bacon jam if you want. Come on. I came out of my bedroom and I smelled all of that and couldn't have any of it. And my friend Melissa's visiting. She's eating the bacon saying, you just got one more day. One more day. 
One more day. I sat there with my little bowl of blueberries while they ate all of that. You better believe I saved some. I will get it tonight. I will get it tonight. But how many of you know that your breakthrough is more important than bacon in this season? More important than brown sugar covered bacon in this season? You're going to have to sacrifice a thing if you're serious about walking into your next level. Is all your favorites, are they worth giving up? Can you miss the last two episodes, Melissa, of Game of Thrones if God asked you to? Can you do it? This is a season of amazing testing. I had a relative who I love dearly who said suddenly she didn't believe that God tests us, that he loves us too much to test us. I say the word of God says he loves those whom he chastens. He chastens those whom he loves, yes? I look forward to the test because you only get tested when it's time to graduate. Yes? So if there's a test, there must mean a graduation is on the other side. Walking into your new era is daunting because of these three things. Now, I apologize in advance. I was telling the first service because I'm going to use some analogies that may bring forth painful analogies to those of us who are mothers, those of us who are trying to be mothers or who have tried to be mothers. Let me first back up and say happy Mother's Day to every woman in the room, whether or not you have birthed a human child. Our God says that we are here to be fruitful and to multiply. That's not limited to human children. If you are birthing a ministry, if you are birthing a project, if you are birthing a creative thing, let me tell you, you have children in the ministry. You have children who are following you all over this world. They're listening to what you say, to what you do. You are mothers. You are mothers, so happy Mother's Day to you. Men, this is not going to be a mothers-only message or a women-only message, right? Because I believe we are all called to birth a thing. So know that I'm speaking to all of you when I say this. Here's why it's very daunting now to consider the idea of birthing a new era. Because, you know, you can get right to the door of your new era and never cross over. Because you're unaware of the last thing you needed to do to enter into your new season. That's called miscarriage. You can carry your purpose all the way up to the finish line and not be able to birth it. Do you know you can cross over into your new area and get stuck right there at the entrance because you spent all your time preparing to get to the breakthrough, but you never thought about what it would take to actually break out. So you got stuck right there. It's like having a stillborn. You carry that purpose and that destiny for nine months. You get big with that purpose. You birth it, and you didn't do what you have to do now to give it life. You can cross over, have it have life, start running, and then fumble the breakthrough because you didn't stay connected to the God that gave you the breakthrough in the first place. It's my worst nightmare for God to elevate me, and I get so addicted to the elevation, I forgot who elevated me in the first place. You don't want to have that happen. So we declare right now an end to all miscarriages. There will be no stillborn births here. And we will not fumble our breakthrough when we get through the other side. Can I give you 10 commandments? 10 commandments to birthing your new era. I've got good news for you. It's the year 2019. I love numbers. I love looking at Uh, numbers and how God uses numbers. You know that nine is the number of birthing. 
It's the number of birthing. I believe this year, more than any other year that's come before it, is ideally situated for you to birth what you're designed to carry. Can I give you more good news? We're in the month of May. That's the fifth month. The number five is the number of grace. Grace is favor and power combined. I thank you, Father, for the grace, the favor, the power that we need to birth this new thing. I'm going to jump right into these Ten Commandments, and I want you to know that these are principles. um, This is not official. You're not going to find these Ten Commandments in the Bible. My husband was like, are you sure you can call it? Can you call it Ten Commandments? It's the Ten Commandments of Birthing Your New Era. Um, That's my title. You won't find the commandments listed like that in the Bible, but you will find the examples that I'm using. I pulled these commandments from five different people that I admire in the Bible, men and women who I think if we watch them carefully, we will get some clues to how you make a thing come to pass. If you're like me, you're addicted to speed. You want it to happen yesterday. Anybody else like that? I want everything to happen yesterday. Not even now, yesterday. So I believe if you can commit to these 10 things, you'll start to see some acceleration in seeing your breakthrough through. Let's look at Esther. We always talk about Esther, but I want to just start by saying Esther risked her life and her position for her calling. Are you willing to risk your life and your position for your calling? You know, sometimes God will take me to places, uh, Pastor was so kind uh, to talk a little bit about uh, my career, but sometimes I'll be on these big stages in these big rooms with all these fancy people. You ever been around fancy people? They make you sit up a little different, right? When you, you get in a room with fancy people, um, and they all have these fancy titles. And every now and then I'll hear some little voice that'll say, you know, you better tone it down just a little bit. These people are fancy. They're not going to understand what you're saying. If you're not careful, right, before you get to your new era, you'll hear this voice that tries to tell you to tone it down a little bit. And you've been working so hard to get where you are, why would you tone down right before you cross over? Esther was risking her, call, her position. She was risking her life. Esther 4.14, it says, For if you remain silent, you all know this, At this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Everybody always knows that last part, for such a time as this. But the thing that struck me this time around was where it says, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. You know what I heard there? I heard that breakthrough is not about you. I heard that God's purposes are going to prevail whether or not you participate. He was giving Esther a chance to go down in history, a chance to cross over into a new era. It was a choice. Crossing over into your new era is a choice, and it will cost you. You will have to risk your position, and possibly your life. He says it will arise. He said, so this is the audaciously amplified version. This is how I heard it. Look, Mordecai said, this thing is about to go down. Now we could really use your help. 
But whether or not you choose to, our God's going to come through no matter what. So if you want to do what you're called to do, and we're going to see victory through you because of our God, or do what you want to do, and we're still going to see victory through our God. You have to start saying, God, use me and know that I'm ready to risk it all to do your work. That brings us to the first commandment. You must be aware of the time. Be aware of the time. Esther was aware of the time. Has anybody ever told you, um, maybe it's just not your season? You ever heard that? You've even said it to yourself, it's just not my time. I told the first group, that's a lie from the pit of hell because it is always your season, but you must know what season you're in. It is always your time, but you must know what time it is. And guess what? We're not going to have the same luxury Esther had. Do you know what Esther's luxury was? She had Mordecai. Mordecai told her what time it was. You're not always going to have somebody tell you what time it is for you. That means that we must now decide to stand watch We must be vigilant. We must look at what's happening around us in society, what's happening in the world, and say, God, what would you have me do in this season to provide the solutions you are calling me to provide? You're going to have to commit to not get lost in the fray. You know, if you're not careful, you start looking around at what the world is doing, and you start forgetting that you are not actually of this world, and you'll start behaving like the world, choosing sides like the world does. I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a progressive, I'm a feminist. It's too early. I can't step on your toes like that yet. It's too early. I'll give you a little more time. If we're not careful, we'll start choosing sides like the world does instead of choosing the one and only side there is to choose, which is God's side, and do his work. Don't you get distracted and align yourself with things made by man. We must stay aligned with him in order to make sure we're on time. Let me take you to my next figure here, Mary, mother of Jesus. Mary wore her faith on her sleeve. She dared to believe the vision that was given to her from the beginning all the way to the end. Do you still believe what God told you you were called to do? Do you still believe the dream that he put on your heart? Or have you gotten tired of waiting? Have you given up? You see, Mary didn't give up. I'm going to use an example that's not normally used for something like this. Uh, Let's go to John 2. This is the wedding. Remember, this is Jesus' first, I think, recorded miracle when he turns the water into wine. So I'm going to give you the rundown. He's at the big wedding feast. And if you know kind of the, the culture, the custom, the wine was a big deal. And the quality of wine kind of told us the status of the family right? Um, And so they would serve the really good wine at the beginning, then they would wait till you, you know, got a little nice, a little tipsy, and then they would serve you the mediocre wine once you didn't know any better. That was sort of what they would do. So in this case, they ran out of the wine, and you'll see here, when the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. You ever wonder why she bothered Jesus with that? I mean, he's just there minding his own business, having a good time, not drinking the wine, by the way, just sitting there. And she goes to him and says, there's no more wine. I want you to see what Mary did there. She did what we're going to have to start doing every step of the way 
if we're serious about birthing a new era. Before you look to yourself, before you look to others, you're going to have to do this. The second commandment, we must look to him as the first source of provision. Mary looked to him first. She didn't say, hey, Peter, run out to Specs and get a few cases. She didn't say that. She looked straight to Jesus and said, we have no wine. You see, I believe that Mary still believed what was told her before Jesus was born. She was still believing it. And here's what we know. That's the first recorded miracle in the Bible. For all we know, Mary hadn't even seen Jesus do anything spectacular before that moment. For all we know, she hadn't even seen him perform miracles. She hadn't seen him heal. She didn't even know what he was capable of, but she trusted that she had carried and birthed the Messiah. So the Messiah must have power within him to do whatever is needed. I believe Mary had discernment that told her, look, my Lord would never be able to sit still in a place that had need and not fulfill it. I believe she says, I know who my God is. He would never waste an opportunity to bring glory to God. He would never do it. So she knew if there was a problem, Jesus must be the solution. She didn't know if he could make wine or not. She just knew he must be the solution. You see, we should be looking for him first to turn some of our old water into new wine. I don't know about you, but I got some old habits I need to turn over. I got some old ways of thinking that I need to give up. Father God, help me with my old attitudes that I need you to help me switch. Help me with my old behaviors, my old ways of handling money. My old ways of talking to my parents, my old ways of talking to my kids. Help me with that. If you're serious about going into a new era, you can't carry all your old ways. You just can't. They won't fit. You know, the door into every new era is more narrow than the last one. So you're going to have to lose some weight to get into that next door. Whatever baggage you're carrying, you're going to have to drop it. It's not going to be able to go with you. You're going to have to lose it if you're serious about it. In John, John 2 here, this is still Jesus and Mary. He says, woman... Why do you involve me? Now, don't get worried. Jesus was not being disrespectful. Woman, in that sense there, the translation is like saying mother. He was being uh, gentle with her. He was just saying, mother, why would you, why are you bothering me with that? That's not my business. He says, my hour hasn't even come yet. My time hasn't come. His mother was like, whatever, Jesus. I know how you work. I know how you work. And she said to the guys, do whatever he tells you to do. Next commandment, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's the simplest of these commandments, and it's the hardest one to do. Any of you have one of those friends? I had this friend, she was going through a rough patch, and she would call me a lot. And this one morning, she called me at like 5 in the morning. Y'all know how it is, women. You got the, you're the one that everybody calls. Is anybody else in here the one that everybody calls? Yeah. I'm the one that everybody calls, right? So she's calling me five in the morning. You know, she's crying. She's got hard times she's dealing with, and I'm trying to give her advice. It's five in the morning. I don't wake up at five in the morning. I'm an artist. We go to bed at like two in the morning and get up, you know, when we have to. She called me at five in the morning. But you know how we women do? We pretend like we were already up. Hello? 
are you up? I don't mean to bother you. No, it's good. I'm fine. What you need? Right? And she starts telling me all this stuff that's going wrong with her, and I'm listening. And then I say, you know what? My God, she has called on me. I'm going to give her the best advice ever. And you lean into the call. You stay on that phone for an hour, hour and a half. You're giving her all your best advice. Even put a little scripture with it, Andrew, just to make it legit. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you're really working on it. You're giving her all this advice. And you think, you know, I just gave her some of my best pearls of wisdom. Y'all know what happens, right? You find out a little bit later. She didn't do nothing. Now, she called you and prefaced with, I'm calling you because you're so wise and you have the best advice. She didn't do nothing you told her to do. Worse yet, you find out she called two more people after you. It was on the phone with them for like an hour apiece. She didn't do nothing they told her to do either. Crazy, right? Why do we do the same thing to God? He gives us his best every time. He lays his word out, all of his best advice right there in the word of God. All you got to do is go to it. All you got to do is do it. He will send you human beings to give you confirmation of the thing you've had on your heart. And then we still delay. Do you know that Mary didn't even have it as good as we do? Mary didn't know yet who Jesus was going to be. She didn't get to read about all of his exploits all the people he healed. She didn't even know how awesome he was yet. She was just standing on a promise, yet she still did whatever he said to do when he said to do it. Imagine what breaks out when we do the same. I think, like I said, Mary had discernment, and I think when we're birthing a new era, we have to have discernment. Really, we don't even need discernment to know that God is who he says he is. He's the same yesterday, today, forevermore. He's never going to change. So why would you start going through changes and acting like you don't know who he is? He's the same God that delivered you last time. Why wouldn't he show up in an even greater way this time? When you start to learn how to practice the same type of fast obedience that Mary had, you will see fast entry into your new era. If you practice slow obedience, which is just code word for disobedience, You will see your uh, breakthrough and your purpose stunted. I'm going to go now to the man that I thought I was going to spend uh, the entire Ten Commandments on because John the Baptist is one of those guys that, man, you can learn so much from just getting to know who he was and how he walked about on this earth. John cared, John the Baptist cared more about the revolution than his reputation. John 1, this is John 1, verse 19, it says, now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders, this is uh, John 1, 19, you have it? One before that. It says, now this is his testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. They wanted to know who he was. Can we just, can we just keep it real? John was weird, y'all. Come on. John was weird. John wore camel hair. I don't even know if he wore anything under the camel hair. Does anybody know? He wore a leather belt, right? Probably no shoes. John ate locusts and honey. He didn't talk like anybody. He didn't look like anybody. He didn't act like anybody else. He was being so peculiar, doing all the baptisms and talking about some Messiah that was supposed to come. 
and he was so effective at it that the Pharisees had to come out of the city, find him in the wilderness to see what he was doing. Commandment, what is this, number four? You have to look so peculiar. You have to look peculiar enough for people to wonder not just who you are, but what you are. Are you ready to look peculiar? Or have you gotten too comfortable conforming and looking like everybody else? If you're serious about your new era, you're going to have to be disruptive. I believe John the Baptist was the original mover and shaker. And I don't mean he was just busy, looking busy. He wasn't just naturally busy. He was supernaturally productive, and he knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he was called to do. Furthermore, in John, right here again, John 1, 20, he says, it says, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely. First thing out of John's mouth when they said, who are you? What do you have to say for yourself? He says, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, nope. He said, are you the prophet? Not nope, wrong again. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? You ever notice when you really start moving, people start asking you, who do you think you are? <laughs> oh, I love that question. That question means you're in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time, causing such a commotion that people got to leave the city to come see about you in the wilderness to find out what in the world are you doing. When you start committing to looking peculiar enough that you will risk your reputation, then God knows he can use you. So John taught us that we must look peculiar. I love what he answered. He said, um, in the words of Isaiah the prophet. So he even quoted the word of God, right? He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Commandment number five, you have to know who you are and who you are not. John the Baptist did not get it twisted. He did not for one day think he was Jesus. John knew that he was the voice. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was the voice and he knew that. God's not going to let you enter your new era with an identity crisis. He's got to be sure that you're not going to change just because you got on the other side of elevation. That just because you got recognition, suddenly you don't know who he is. And John, did you notice, didn't give them any old answer. He didn't lead with his resume. He didn't say who his parents were or what schools he'd been to or what accolades he had. John just told them what his purpose was. And he was able to do that because John had no pride in himself. He had power to operate in his purpose. That's why commandment number six, we must be devoid of pride. Did you see John didn't hesitate to throw the spotlight where it belonged? He didn't start mistaking the assignment on his life as being something that he created, something that he caused to happen. He was fully aware that he was being used by God, that none of his greatness was his own. You know, those same masters of the, um, of the ministry that I read, I told you about, Catherine Kuhlman, uh, Benny Hinn, some of the great names. Do you know when they had their downfalls or when they had their slips was when they disconnected. Here's what's dangerous about it. They were still operating fully in their gift. Catherine Kuhlman was still able to heal even when she was disconnected from the source, when she was having trouble behind the scenes. 
That's why you don't idolize anybody who gets up on this stage. Do you understand? This stage is literally elevated only because of logistics. Because if we were down there, you wouldn't be able to see us as clearly. So for logistic reasons, the stage is elevated. It does not mean that we up here preaching the word are any better than those of you receiving the word. It does mean that if you dare to get up on this platform, you better give up some bacon every now and then. Huh? It does mean that if you're going to get up on this platform, you say, I know that I live in the liberty of Christ. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm not beholden to the law. You better decide, though, what did Jesus do? How closely can I come to looking like him? No matter what we are allowed to do. You see, walking into a new era is a choice to be separated from the rest of the world. It's a choice to be separated. John was devoid of pride. Next commandment, John did this. He understood his assignment and he clearly knew his position. John said, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. What was that voice saying? Make straight the way for the Lord. So many people never enter their new era because they're unaware or out of alignment with their assignment. They're the voice, but they're acting like they're the hand. They're the foot trying to be the head. They're in the right place, but they're out of position, in position, but they don't learn the protocol. They know the protocol, but they haven't found out the timing. All of those things will block you out of your new era. All of that will cause you to miscarry where your purpose is concerned. John 1.29, this is John uh, saying again who he is. He says, the next day, uh, it says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see what he just did? He did the next commandment, which is to point people in the right direction. Do you understand that breaking into your new era is not about you? It's not about the business you're building or the house you're building or the ministry you're building. Your next era is about what you can do for him to be a part of these times we live in. He may use your business. He may use your ministry. He may use your platform. But if you're breaking through for the benefit of those things, it's going to be a lot harder to get through that door. If you're like John and you point everybody in the right direction, John knew he was the voice. He wasn't trying to be the head. He was in the right place in the wilderness. Some of y'all want to be in the city and God said, I got you in the wilderness for a reason. John was in the right place doing the right thing. He was in position doing baptisms. Anybody ever notice John wasn't offering salvation? That wasn't what he was called to do. He was doing baptisms, and then as soon as Jesus got on the scene, did John fight with him for position? John said, I was here first. I did all the heavy lifting. I'm out here in camel hair looking crazy. And now Jesus gets to come looking all handsome and clean, and he didn't say that. As soon as Jesus got on the scene, he slid out of the way and said, look. This is who, you, who I have been preparing the way for. That's how you break into your new era. All of your work, your exploits, your outspokenness, all of your talents must point back to the God who gave them to you in the first place. Even in the word of God, this is a John, I don't have the scripture for you. Even in the word, it tells us that we are not the light. Said John wasn't the light. He came to bear witness to the light. We get to reflect the light. We get to behave like light. We get to shine some light. 
so people will come and stand in your light and say, what's this light all about? And then you get to say, the Lamb of God, who takes away all of our sin. That's how we must behave. Moving on now to one of my favorite ladies. This is Deborah in Judges here. Deborah, I believe women, just a little time out for a little girl power. Deborah was the first multitasking boss lady in the Bible. She was bad, y'all. She was a judge, a prophetess, a wife, a mother, and a warrior. Um, and she was married to a man named Lapidoth, you know? And Lapidoth gets a bad rap. People think Lapidoth must have been some little pushover. Lapidoth had to be a strong man to balance Deborah. That meant that Deborah could rarely show weakness in public. So when she came home, she had to have a Lapidoth to come home to. I am privileged to be married to Lapidoth himself, my husband. He's like, that's not my name. That's his name. He doesn't know. Um, quiet, behind the scenes kind of guy, does not want to be up here, also does not mind, and he relishes the fact that his wife is doing what she does. I pray that you all find companions, that your spouses see you as equals who have something to offer. I pray that those of you who are still single will walk into relationships where you will be lifted up and your men will see you for the queens and the warriors that you are. I thank you for that in the name of Jesus. I pray that you have husbands and wives who support you in your purpose. I pray that your partners will lift you up. They will not be jealous of your calling and they will speak life over you and cover you in their prayers. They will not backbite or doubt your talents. They will see who you are and push you to the front with no hesitation. In the name of Jesus, we pray that. Deborah believed she could not lose. She knew that if God was for her, no one could be against her. Deborah had a lot on her plate, but she was focused. Judges 4.9 says, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. If you don't know where this is, I challenge you to go back and read um, this chapter in Judges. They were getting ready to go to war because God told Deborah that it was time to go to war. This is the short version. And so she went to her, let's say, army general, which was Barak, and said, look, Barak, God says it's time to go. Barak's like, I didn't hear the same thing from God. You ever had somebody tell you what God said? You're like, he didn't say that to me. That's kind of how Barak was, right? You know, Deborah was like, I heard from him clearly. And Barak's like, I don't know. So Barak was hesitating. And Deborah said, oh, he said, I'll go if you go, Deborah. You know how rare that was? The army general is asking the judge, prophetess, wife, mom, come on, go to war with me here. And Deborah didn't skip a beat. She said, certainly I will go. But because of the course you're taking... The honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Commandment number nine. You must be willing to rise to the most dangerous levels of your calling. You must be willing to go to war. You must be willing to lead the charge if you have to. If there is a book that is now being written about this era and your name is in it, you want to say, and Carolyn went. So Andrew went. So Amanda went. So Jocelyn went. So Melanie went. You want to be able to know that what's going to be written is that you did not hesitate. You went no matter the cost. Deborah knew the sacrifice. She was risking injury. She was risking death. But she knew that if God be for her, 
No army on the face of the earth could be against her. Hmm? Just go back to Game of Thrones for just a second. That couple episodes ago when they were going to war, remember? See, they didn't have God on their side. If I was leading the war, we would have been okay. We wouldn't have lost all those people. I could, you just, that's all right. Y'all, if y'all don't watch it, don't worry about it. I'm, what I'm telling you is I don't even need the dragons because I know that if God is for me, no one can be against me. So Deborah teaches us that we must be willing. We can't just keep paying lip service, right? We must say that I'm willing to rise to the most dangerous levels. That takes us uh, closing with David. David is just my favorite. I read his story uh, really starting in Chronicles, like the work, you know, starting in Samuel. Get all the way up to David. I like to see how he came to be. And David we know as a worshiper. David used his worship as a weapon, not as a last resort. The first time you pray and get on your knees and wail shouldn't be after you lost. It should be before you even go into battle. In 2 Samuel 6, it says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Goes on to say in 2 Samuel 22 that David sang to the Lord. You know this song. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock and whom I take refuge. Is, is that not who he is for you? That's who he is for me. It says he's my shield and the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold, my refuge, my savior from violent people who saved me. Do you know there are violent people on the other side of that door you keep trying to get through? There are people who are waiting to take away that purpose as soon as you get on the other side. People who are waiting to shun you, to ignore you, to hurt you. Dangerous, violent people who want to see you not fulfill your purpose. Sometimes they don't even know they're being used by the enemy to do that thing. So you have to prepare now and worship. I love that. David set an example of praise. And what we learn from him is this last commandment. That praise and worship must be the bookends of your breakthrough. You need it at the front and you need it at the back. You need it before you go into war. You need it after you're delivered from your enemy. You need it on both sides. What I love is that David set the example. Do you remember his wife at the time, Michal? David was dancing so hard, worshiping so hard, he was dancing out of his clothes. He had on kind of the equivalent of what women know as a slip, you know, a little ephod he had on. So it wasn't very dignified, remember? And his wife saw him and she despised him for it. She was like, David, why are you doing... You're being extra, David. You're just being extra. Why are you half naked in front of all these common folk? Because he was. He had like a little slip on and he was dancing. And she just thought it was so ridiculous that he looked so ridiculous. And she even told him, how can you act like that in front of the people that you are king over? Remember what David told her? He said, I will be even more undignified than this. You have to get to a point where you don't care how fancy the building is. You still worship like you used to in the last building, Carolyn. You got to get to a point where you're not worried about wearing out the brand new carpet. You'll still run the aisles if God tells you to run the aisles. You have to stop worrying that the ceiling is so high that you're not used to it. Let me tell you, this may be a new building, but our God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
We don't worship smaller because we're in a new building. We rise to meet the level of the challenge. It's a new building. Let me tell you, if you were worshiping like this at the old building, you got to at least give me this in the new building. If you were doing this in the old building, you got to at least give me this in the new building. If you were doing this, you better give me a little old school kick or something in the new building. Why would you stay the same? If you say you want change, you must change to get into your new era. If you remember, God made it so that Michal could not have any kids. She never bore David any children. And if you only look at it as a lineage perspective, you will think that God closed Michal's room so that she would not bear any descendants to Saul, who would then have a right to the throne later on down the road. That's one way to look at it. But I want to give you another suggestion. I think God also closed Michal's womb because she would not bear any worshiping fruit. I believe the children she would have born wouldn't know how to worship because they would have had a mom bitter who wouldn't have taught them how to worship. And that in Saul's house, Michal never saw an example of worshiping. That's why she was so shocked by how David was moving. And God says that my people will worship me in spirit and in truth. So he would not allow Michal to birth a thing that would not come out and do what it was designed to do. So in this season, we must decide that everything we bear fruit of, we will sacrifice back to God. We will lay it on the altar and we will worship him in spirit and truth from beginning to end in the name of Jesus. I will tell you that um, I believe one of the things that God always puts on my heart is this uh, idea that women especially, but men and women, um, have been given a gift or a calling, and they're frustrated by it. Some of us have so many ideas, we don't know which one to move on. Some of us have one idea that's been dogging us since, uh, man, for as long as we can remember, we just haven't stepped out on it yet. And I believe that um, part of what I'm called to do is to pray over those things so that we can see a reality. Do You know, people die waiting for purpose to be fulfilled. And if we're being honest, I will tell you that most people will live and die without ever walking fully into their purpose. And I believe that at, you're at this church, this is a place of purpose because our head, he named this Inspire Church because Inspire means God breathed. It doesn't mean to motivate you. You have a head here that wants to have God breathe life into everything that you do. He wants to see your dreams come to pass. And I believe you have to want that for yourself, but you have to decide to do what he has called you to do. If you came in the front doors there, you saw uh, the pulpit, the split pulpit. You remember? Those of you, many of you know our history there. I won't take time to go into it now. If you got the book, God Chasers, you'd read about a church in Houston. That was ours where the pulpit, God moved mightily. And one of the things he did, were many things, is he split the pulpit in half, plexiglass, that wouldn't have split on his own, God did it, and you'll see it out there. But the little bit that I know about Pastor Hurd, I will tell you, I know he didn't put that out there so we can idolize something that happened in the past. I know that Pastor Hurd has that there so we can get excited about what God is gonna do with us into the future. So when you walk past that pulpit, don't you cry for us and say, oh, they haven't had the pulpit split in a long time. Look, that's old news. I thank God for it, but it's old news. Our God says that he makes all things new. 
So we have to get excited about what he is doing, not only in this church, but in us as individuals. And I believe that if we begin to follow even a fraction of the things that we talked about today, if we just do what he says to do when he says to do it, if we just decide to worship him no matter what the circumstances look like, I believe that he will bless our journey. Amen? Can you just stand to your feet? Now we're going to call everybody to the front. But the first thing that I want to do, the first people that I want to come to the front, altar workers, if you could come. One of the first groups of people I want to come are those of you who know without a shadow of a doubt that this is the time that you're overdue to birth the thing that God has put on your heart. I don't know why it's stalled. I don't know why you've been frustrated by it. But if you know this is a thing and it's time to give birth, I want you to come to the front first. And can I tell you that your wait is over? Can I tell you that your age does not matter? The enemy has been lying to you and telling you that you've missed your boat, that you've missed your window, that you've missed your season, but it is always your season. And that thing that he put on your stomach is not going away. You are not delusional. The big dreams you are dreaming are real. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You are called to do big, bold things. You are not too small. The rest of you, make your way down. If you have a thing on your heart that you know, listen, I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. We're not going to cry over why it hasn't happened yet. We're going to rejoice for how it's about to come to pass now. Amen? Amen. And you're going to open your mouth and worship like you've never worshiped before because you are ready to push a thing out. I got good news for you. Have any of you been feeling some pain? Anybody been in trial in this season? You better get excited about it because you're having contractions. Those are contractions. It is time for you to birth a new thing. There's going to be a little pain before you birth that creative baby. There's going to be a little pain. You're going to start getting to the point where when you feel that pain, you start shouting and rejoicing. Thank you, God. If I'm being tested, it must be time to graduate. Thank you, God. If I'm feeling pain, it must be time to push this thing out. And you're going to get excited about it. Raise your hands. Father God, I thank you right now for what you are doing in this room. I thank you that everyone in here will not leave without birthing the thing you have called them to birth. The businesses, the ideas, the creative projects will be born. They will not miscarry in this season. They will not have stillborns in this season. They will not lose their children after they are born in this season. We thank you that we are calling all the prodigal sons and daughters back on this Mother's Day. I thank you that they are turning around right as we speak. I thank you, Father God, that all the things that didn't come through will reverse themselves. That everything that was taken from us will be returned, Father God. I thank you in this season for restoration like never before. Listen, you got to cry out from your belly like you mean it. Don't you be silent in front of God in this season. You want him to do big things. You better find your big voice in this season. Do not stay silent and he will not leave you standing ashamed in your absence. Father God, I ask you to bless the prayers of these people, Father. You have given them an amazing assignment and you will not leave them standing ashamed in your absence. In Jesus' name, I ask any of you, listen, you can't walk into this thing, you can't birth a new era if you don't know the God we're talking about. If you don't know the God we're talking about for yourself, not the God your mama taught you about, thank God for her. Not the God your father taught you about, thank God for him. Not the God Pastor Heard preaches about, thank God for him. But you got to know God for yourself. If 
you don't know God for yourself, if Christ is not just your Lord and just your Savior, but he is not your everything, this is the time to decide. If there's anyone in here who does not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, I invite you to raise your hand. Don't be ashamed now. You can't have the breakthrough and not have the God who gives you the breakthrough. Don't be ashamed. Just raise your hand and our altar workers will find you if you need him like never before. Hey, if you just feel like your relationship with him has gone cold, if it's been stale and you don't hear him like you used to, you don't let us pray with you because your ears must be open so you can hear him clearly. You're not going to need to have Jay tell you what God is saying for you. You're not going to have to watch YouTube to find out what he wants for you. You're going to hear him for yourself. If you need that, raise your hand and our altar workers will find you as well. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Father God, for salvation. Father God, we give you our hearts. We thank you that from this day forward, we give you our souls. We receive you, Father, as Savior. We receive you as, as Lord, Father God. And we thank you that we can come to you unashamed, Father God. I thank you that everything we've ever done in our past is null and void. You have wiped it clean. You have thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness. And from this day forth, we'll have a new, fiery relationship with you like never before. Father, we are all mothers here. We are all fathers here. And we will birth the thing that you have implanted to us. In Jesus' name.